Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I speak to Dan Jodzik of Alexandria Technology. Alexandria was one of the earlier alternative data providers on the scene, and in our conversation, Dan and I discussed the early challenges of explaining NLP data to an unprepared market and how the alternative data scene has developed in the subsequent decade and a half. Meanwhile, it's about time I gave a plug to John Farrell of 90 West's excellent weekly alternative data newsletter. Sign up link is in the comments. So in this episode, I'm joined by Dan Jolzik of Alexandria Technology. Thanks very much for joining today, Dan. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so Dan, uh, Alexandria is a alternative data provider. It's one that many will know, many listeners will know. It's 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 one of the bigger ones and has been around for a good while. Um, why don't we start by just talking a little bit about um, perhaps your own background? Um, you're the CEO now. You you joined um, when Alexandria was already in 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 being. Um, how did you come to the concept of alternative data? And 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 was was Alexandria Technology a recognizable alternative data company when you joined it? The, the short answer to that last question is no. It was not a recognizable alternative data company. You know, my background is sort of what led me. Um, on this journey, right? I was a quantitative research analyst at Alliance Bernstein, um, so performing factor research for equity and uh, multi-asset markets in general. And um, I have always had an appreciation for data uh, and different data sets. Now, one of the things that always kind of surprised me at those early Bernstein days was, you know, we had all this information that we were getting um, from a textual point of view, right? Like I had a Bloomberg terminal. Okay, that's a closed system, of course, with um, news information. Um, it was deemed necessary to have, although we didn't really use it to the full extent possible. Um, so that was one information source that I would consider to be underutilized. Then we had the sell side research, and that was another information source that was underutilized. Then we had internal buy side research, um, and we would take notes and have these uh, morning calls every day. And all of this information was being captured, but not fully deployed. So fast forward, probably like six months later, I had the uh, opportunity, so there was a bit of luck involved too, in meeting our co-founder, Dr. Raylong Xiao, and he, his approach to NLP or classification was in um, bioinformatics. He essentially built a classification system to read DNA and isolate DNA sequences to various proteins. So uh, he was tackling a dig big data problem for a different industry. And with you know, uh, DNA reading um, classification systems, he and the other co-founder, Eugene Shirley, thought we can really build a company around this. So I happened to meet them um, early on. They probably had started about like three months into it and said, hey, you know, uh, that could really work for financial services because of the prior problem I had faced myself at Bernstein. Like, again, there's so much text out there that people are not really using. Mm -hmm. So if your classification technology is that good and we can apply it to financial text, I think there would be a home for it with uh, financial firms. And 
kind of that was the genesis of me joining the firm. And so, yeah, while I wasn't, you know, a co-founder of the company, I was probably more of a co-founder of financial services, I suppose. Just for context, we're talking kind of turn of 07, 08, oh, turn of kind of 08, your mid 08, essentially, yes. is, when, is when this is happening. Um, so it's very early for, for alternative data um in in general i mean things existed but um but uh but it was it was early what did so you felt did you feel like you'd had a new idea did you feel like um you know you've you've had an idea which no one else is doing out there 100 percent, right uh, and the answer was we didn't right <laughs> so that's the thing <laughs> you're like oh my god this is such a great idea and the first thing you do is google it and you're like oh okay uh, there are, you know, uh, two other firms or, or, or more doing this already. So you're like, huh, well, still, it's a good idea worth pursuing. So let's try. That means I'm early, at least. Do, do they know, do you know, um, uh, do they still exist? Those two other they firms? do. Yeah. I, I mean, and look, and they're well known too, right? The first was Raven Pack that we came across. And, yeah. you know, we had some early discussions with them when they thought of us as maybe a buyer um, or a user, a subscriber, if you will. And then the second was at the time Thomson Reuters through a company called Lexalytics, mm-hmm. um, which, I, you know, I think that partnership has now dissolved, but Thomson Reuters has their own NLP type systems. So, you know, they are still around. Uh, but those were basically the two that we came across um, in those early days. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, cool. So you, you've had this, uh, you, you, well, either way, you've had this idea, you've got the right technology because um, you've got founders who, who are good at NLP and are already using it for other uses. So there's a, there's, you can kind of, the wheels, are, the cogs are already turning. You just need to feed new, new, um, new paper into it type thing. Um, and so you are creating the financial, the financial arm of this, this company. What did that look like in the early days? Well, I mean, it was just me myself, right? Um, so uh, the first thing was, you know, what can we really extract from this information? And even that, though, was a bit of, I think it was kind of somewhat obvious, right? Like most people want to know, you know, what or who the news is about or the information is about, right? No matter what we're getting, whether it was even like a broker emailing us, like what company are we talking about? Um, and, you know, I had an equity bent given that that was kind of more of my uh, responsibility at Bernstein. So what company are we talking about? And then the next thing we always wanted to know was like, what is the subject matter? Um, and then finally, you know, I guess it was, why should we care about this? And so we interpreted that as like sentiment. Is this going to be good, bad, or, you know, no impact for the company um, overall? So, you know, we kind of took what we were trying to do anyway when we got a email or when we were talking about um, internal buy-side research, you know, is this ultimately going to be good or bad, right? And how do we want to think about um, stock positions within portfolios? And so we just kind of applied that to um, an information set. Now, the information set was also a question, right? Like, what do we tackle first? And uh, it was... Well, and also you have to think at the time it's 2008 and the financial crisis. So that's a little fortuitous as well in that, okay, news is saying that the markets are falling off a cliff and all this bad things are happening. So given all the attention on news right now, let's see if we can plug that in. Um, and then we were fortunate enough to reach out to a few different partners, like one publisher being Dow Jones who we work with, and kind of started doing some groundwork um, on their news seeds. Mm, okay. 
So you were, and so yeah, they were, they were, they were keen. What about on the, um, what about on the client side? Was there, did you, did you enter a market which was already, did you feel established and you were entering it, or were you try, were you having to establish one? Well, given that the marketing, given that the market is starting to establish itself now, you can say we were very, 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 very early days, right? Um, you know, you even have this. So it's actually a good thing that there were competitors in the space because that sort of gave us the idea that this was an idea someone would pay for, right? Like if we were completely, um, if we didn't know that, then you know, who knows what sort of happens, right? Um, but we're like, okay, there are, um, you know, competitors in the market. So, and they've been around longer than us. So there should be an economic benefit to this. Um, so, you know, it gave us a bit more confidence in saying, yes, people would pay for this. Not only that, our own belief was people should pay for this. I believe people would pay for this. I would have paid for it um, at Bernstein. So we thought, okay, that was enough to go ahead. But uh, in 2000. You know, eight essentially the there there wasn't really a market, right? Um, there were probably a, a, a bunch of early adopters that were interested in getting an information edge and willing to take on like a new data set, even if it was half baked. Um, and you know, it didn't. It took years, like a decade or more, for the market to kind of come around and more mature. But that's in a way that's that's an opportunity if you're if you're first. But um, and, and in terms of so, did you find because you were new, did you find that the um you know some of the hedge funds who are, who kind of don't open the door to anyone open the door to you because they might not have heard of someone like you before and they're always up for the latest thing. Where did you get a wonderful privileged access to these 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 sealed institutions as a result of having this this fresh product? Uh, in some ways, yeah, I think there was a benefit of being unknown, right? Um, because some of the, uh, you know, very data-heavy hedge funds were thinking, okay, if I haven't heard of you, you know, and I am you know, someone that is very data-forward, then no one else has probably heard of you, and that might be a good thing for me. Um, but then there was also the flip side of it when you start having these conversations and the question that we always got in those early days was, well, how do we know you're going to exist in three to six months? And, you know, you have to look them in the eye and say, well, we're very committed to making this work, but, you know, mm. we can't go on forever without clients. So, like, you know, there is a risk. I, I wouldn't call it six months, but, you know, I'd say maybe two years, there's a risk that, you know, we're not ongoing in the future now luckily i think you i think you look them look them in the eye and say look man are you after the fresh new thing or what you know <laughs> if you're if you want the fresh thing then you got to take risks well that's the thing right but i mean you also have to be candid enough to say like yeah you know that is a risk right yeah. without there is no reward without risk so to your yeah. point too right if you do want a fresh new data set then there is some risk involved um but there is a lot more reward than that risk and so what kind of, what kind of, um, were, were they, what kind of proof of your, of the value were you getting at that point in those early days? Were you, were you, um, yeah, what kind of, uh, presumably the traction would have showed and, and your early, like an early customer would have gone, okay, this is good stuff and come back for more. What kind of, um, what, cause presumably you're selling the data set in and, and then kind of waving it off and, and not seeing it again. So, um, how did you know, how did you know you had something good? Well, yes. Um, Luckily, right, my background was in factor 
research, right? So that part of the you know uh, proof of concept was the easier piece overall, right? Once we formulated our data set um, or you know kind of created our data set, um, we were able to back test and determine how much value or alpha there was in the data itself. And it turned out there was a lot. So, right, I mean, like we could confidently go into a meeting with a hedge fund and say, hey, you know, if you applied this for the last 10 years, here's the annualized return you'd get, here's the risk, and here's the Sharpe ratio. So, um, you know, we know this is a good data set and we know about data biases. So we checked about all these things. So it was a very research heavy um, meeting. But then in the early days, uh, every single time we presented this, we got, well, if this is so good, how come you're not building a hedge fund yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that kind of question isn't so straightforward because even now, like we come across, you know, professional fund managers that are, you know, they have a track record. They've been, you know, investing for years and starting a fund is hard, right? Because mm-hmm. most fund allocators will say, yeah, okay, well, um, you know, I see your back test, but I want to see a live track record. So for, you know, us at Alexandria, it was also like, well, you know, well, there's two things. One, we think there's a bigger advantage in being a tech company, right? Like the tech companies of that era seem to be doing really well, right? Apple, Google, Facebook kind of just continuing to grow at that point. Um, so we, we want to perform as a tech company, but then two, it's not an easy thing to just start a hedge fund, right? Like you run through this common problem of, well, why don't you just run some money yourself and then come back to us with real performance? And it's like, well, that that becomes like a chicken and egg problem. We don't have the money to run it ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So um, we can't just, you know, throw a few million dollars into this thing and see how it performs. Uh, So that was, you know, that because we had these very good simulated results that that was a question we got in almost every meeting interesting um okay so winding forward um and uh i don't know if you want to draw attention to any landmarks along the way but that was the the very early days in alternative data and here we are um and obviously the the market and the consumption and the and the and the overall and the competition and everything has changed around alexandria in that time um, what has changed within Alexandria? I imagine size is one thing. I imagine that you have you have many more people. Um, and has the product changed? Were there any kind of major pivots or landmarks along the way? So the good thing about our tech is we were very forward in the early days with machine learning. Um, even so much so that people used to treat it as a negative. Like um, we knew our competitor had been in discussions with a firm if their response was, yeah, but aren't you guys kind of black boxy? And we're like, huh, yeah, you know, that's definitely a competitor saying that. Um, and we knew who they were, of course. Um, but we were, again, when you're looking or analyzing a DNA, right, it's this unstructured language. Um, you know, it's you have a bunch of ATCG strings that, you know, appear random, but, you know, perform genomic functions. So you couldn't use more of like a classic sentiment dictionary or word lookup which is a lot of what the early providers were doing. A lot of those legacy systems are still in place today. So like we had this machine learning system that at, you know, back in 2008, 9, 10, 11 was extremely 
advanced. Um, and luckily, or well, fortunately, because of that, we haven't really had to do a lot of re-engineering of the tech itself. Like the core tech architecture remains the same. Now, one of the things, like our goal basically is to replicate human judgment, right? So when you're building like a machine learning system like this, it's like, what do we want to model after? And, you know, some people say, why don't you use returns? My response to that is returns are inherently noisy, right? There's nothing that perfectly correlates to returns. And also there's a, you know, a overfitting problem, right? Like you're using returns to solve a problem. Um, uh, you're using those returns as an input to solve a problem being returns, right? So the input and the output are the same. So our view of this was, well, we're living in a big data world. We want to replicate expert decision-making um, processes or logic, right? So just basically, if we can create AIs of ourselves, um, we can then apply our own thinking and logic to a much larger corpus of information. So our objective function or our what we're modeling after are people going through documents and giving us sentence labeling um, for sentiment and events, if you will, right? Or topics, subject matter. Um, so we have over 500,000 sentences that have been labeled by a analyst, an actual analyst in the finance domain. Um, and that's essentially what we're kind of replicating um, or building our um, logic around. So kind of you take that analyst insight and apply it to a broader kind of information set, which appears to be valuable. So all of that machine learning machinery or infrastructure, if you will, um, still remains today. And you have certainly advances to machine learning, like deep learning now has been kind of the rage. And we always do comparisons. We just published a paper more recently comparing our machine learning NLP to FinBERT. Um, BERT was created by Google and then a few academics adopted it to the finance domain. Mm -hmm. And um, we outperform that even now. So like, yes, we'll, we'll continue to explore and try to be forward or ahead of the, the curve, but our, our tech is still quite good overall. So you think, you think um, your moat, as it were, is about the fact that you have kind of hard coded this proprietary knowledge, essentially, of, of, of the analysts and the kind of expert, um, the expert input um and so as even even as the nlp is getting sharper and sharper um without that kind of proprietary having done done the legwork and and um and, and that kind of human aspect um then you're still gonna you're still gonna keep ahead of ahead of those kind of super nlp deep learning and then whatever the next thing is people yeah i think that's actually a very good um, metaphor, right? Like our moat, we have, we have two moats, I think. One is at this point, you're right, that collection of hand-labeled um, sentence classification, if you will, is a moat, right? Like we have now over 500,000 sentences or documents that have been labeled. And, you know, it's taken 10 plus years to do that, right? Mm -hmm. um, overall. So that in and of itself becomes very hard to replicate. And it just takes time. Sure, you can replicate it, but it's going to take a lot of time. Um, the second thing is, you know, machine learning and all these different tool sets are just tools, right? How you work with those tools is different. And I think our second moat, moat sorry, is uh, our second moat is on the technology know-how, 
right? Like our chief scientist, again, he's Dr. Raylong Shao. He has several patents that he has written while working at um, Yahoo and Intel. Um, like I said, back in 2008 or 2007, like he was applying this for genomic research, you know, and you could take the same machinery, the same um, technology, um, but how you use that technology is extremely different. So um, where we have a just very advanced or forward thinking chief scientist who's able to beat, you know, with the same data, actually, um, he's able to beat kind of these new um, novel, uh, you know, and kind of highly regarded technologies uh, uh, that are that are coming out more recently yeah okay well that's 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 good um so here we are um and it is it is present day um what so perhaps perhaps we can i'm, I'm not sure we've done it full justice what is the product right now what's going in and what's coming out yeah so we're essentially indexing textual uh, documents, right? So like even Alexander Technology, right? The name itself comes from the ancient library of Alexandria, Egypt, right? At that time, it held all the world's um, knowledge before it burned down, of course, right? Um, so that's really what we modeled or the name comes from um, in that, you know, we see ourselves as an indexing system, if you will, right? Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're this technology is all very advanced, but it's really meant to just better categorize documents um, overall. So we thought the library name was very fitting. So we right now have been um, reading different types of documents. Like our first service was Newswires. So we work with firms like Dow Jones, Benzinga, Nikkei. We actually read native Japanese. And that becomes an input into our systems. Um, we also read earnings calls. So, right when um, uh, companies release their financial statements, they have a call with uh, Wall Street analysts uh, to go over the results. Kind of, we're reading those transcripts. Um, we're reading SEC filings. We're reading Reddit. So we can technically read emoji right now. Um, and it's really text information um, uh, overall. And then what we're kind of indexing, if you will, or categorizing is entities, like again, who is being discussed. And that can be company level information. So it's about Apple or Facebook or Tesla. It can be country level information. So it's about, you know, the US or Europe um, or I'm sorry, the UK, let's say, or uh, Germany, France, Japan. Um, uh, it can be about commodities, oil, gold, um, but we are about to launch a crypto service as well. So it can be about various coins. Um, so those are what we call entities. Uh, we then look for subject matter and that's different for you know the types of entities that we have. So for like the economy or country level information, it's about you know central banks and interest rates and inflation, which are very topical at the moment. Um, if it's about companies, it's about their products, their management team, right? Their earnings and not just earnings, but is it revenue, um, net income, uh, EBITDA, et cetera. Um, and for commodities, inventory reports, production, 
And then finally, sentiment. Is this all perceived as positive, neutral, or negative for the underlying entity um, in question? So then coming back to the library example, you're able to do you know, entity lookups. Let me see in this massive corpus of millions upon millions of documents. Um, at this point, it's probably billions of documents. Um, you know, what is What can we find under this company, under this theme? or subject matter, and then, you know, is this theme or subject matter considered positive, neutral, or negative, and how does that trend over time, right? Is it growing in positivity? Is it getting worse? And you generally find that this level of indexing can prove valuable for end users. And who are the end users? At the moment, we focus on quantitative asset managers. So anyone that's algorithmic or systematic, right, Um, overall, because it is what we deliver is still like, even though we take in terabytes of data text and then convert it into, you know, more structured output, like these classification fields, if you will, um, you still end up getting gigabytes of data, right? So you can't, um, you need someone that can understand at the moment anyway, like programming languages, right? Um, whether it's Python or MATLAB, and it's usually just Python, um, uh, you can sort of work with it in Excel, but not too easily. Um, but people that, you know, are data scientists, I guess that's, that's probably right. The bent that we're looking for. And so we send them, you know, 20 years of history, um, and it's a massive file and they're able to kind of crunch and, you know, show or see that it does add value to let's say stock selection, right. Or, you know, trading oil. So, um, you know, because of the file size, um, that has been, for the most part, 90% of our user base. Um, now, a lot of firms are recognizing, and the market is maturing, it's still early days though, um, that, hey, this information is valuable. So you're getting kind of the follow-on effect of you know, UI systems being built and delivered to more discretionary users, right? People that work with the data through an interface, but then will not make an automated decision, right? They'll kind of take it, think about, what the results look like and then, you know, make a decision on their own. So that is going to be uh, a phase that we're building UX for, um, just basically sits on top of our databases and allows you to do this, right? Instead of using a programming language of Python to say, hey, what's, you know, Apple looked like for the last 10 years, you can just do it on a chart, right? Um, through a website. So that is going to be the next leg. And there are people already consuming that. There are companies that are already addressing that need and that's a place where we'll need to kind of start delivering on rather soon. Yeah. Okay. And so you see that potentially is unlocking the kind of fundamental discretionary investor, but you're still, I've, I sense talking about the kind of sophisticated hedge fund part of the world rather than spreading beyond that. Uh, like for, I mean, you are the financial services arm of Alexandria, but um, is there growing interest in, I don't know, I mean, private equity, corporates, anything like that? Yeah, uh, corporates is it's definitely a good price, right? Um, to extend to next, and it's a it's a it's not a large leap, right? So that does require like UX capabilities, and we do have that now. Um, like we have a system, especially for earnings calls, right? So there, we do know that there is an appetite in the corporates world because they want to see not only what you know how their calls and communication are being you know uh, analyzed or considered by the market. But they also want to know about like their competitors as well, right? Mm-hmm. So like, okay, if you know we have ten competitors or peers, you know, what did they talk about in their calls? 
And, you know, how was that received by markets? And was that positive, neutral, or negative, right, um, overall? So potentially for potentially for, for fine-tuning their own communication. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So corporates would be a very um, short extension, right, uh, as we start rolling out this uh, front-end type of system uh, overall. And that's something we're very mindful of. And then, I mean, look, we... When the company first started, it wasn't necessarily meant to be a financial services firm. Like, you know, uh, my ambition would be to, well, one, really hone in on financial services because there's still a lot of documents that we're not reading, right? Like, you know, I see ours as being able to kind of help differentiate between information and noise, right? And the first way to do that is be able to kind of analyze the document type. Right. Like take Reddit, for example, like, is this actually valuable or is this just noisy? Right. Is it just a brief period of time that, um, you know, the markets uh, blipped, if you will. And now, you know, that that phase is over. But we have data that shows it's not over. It, it, you're, if you keep following it, there's still value. So, um, you know, in order to analyze an information source, you needed to have it in a manageable format first. So we're trying to deliver that managed format, if you will. Um, and there's still a lot of places in finance that we haven't um, applied yet. Uh, and then beyond finance, yes, uh, you know, classification, every industry has classification needs, right? And so, you know, we would expect to naturally grow out and, you know, start focusing on additional verticals. But, you know, that's not a near term that's a mid-long-term goal. You have been at it since August two thousand and eight. Um, I, by the way, I want to, I want to say, I want to compliment how how energetic and enthusiastic and chipper you are still in <laughs> after after that thirteen years, which must have must have had its uh, had its challenges. Um, but uh, but um, so you've seen it all essentially. You you were there at the start. You've seen it develop. How would you characterize where alternative data is at now, um, and and kind of looking back over over the last thirteen years? How would you how would you could you put it into phases? Where do you where do you see us as being now? Oh well, yeah, I'm energetic for the and you know kind of enthusiastic for the reason that it's now really um, starting to grow, mm -hmm. right? Um, and like now, you know, it's almost like you know there's it's like we have new days ahead of us, right? You know, obviously, literally, we have new days ahead of us, but like, you know, we're, we have all this new growth is probably a better way to say it, uh, new growth ahead of us. Um, so there's a lot to be uh, enthusiastic for. Now, in those early days, um, so the thing was like, okay, we started the company in 2008, but then you do all this engineering um, and that takes a bit of time. So we finally rolled out our services in like 2012, right? Um, so there was like a three and a half year well, I'd say research and then also um, uh, kind of development window, right? So like I consider like the launch of our services in 2012, but you're right. We were, you know, we're out there you know, bootstrapping and trying to really get something from nothing or build something from nothing back in 2008, um, which wasn't easy to do. And then, you know, you launch the service and the demand wasn't what we thought it would be, quite honestly. You know, it's like, oh, this is so great. And look at these back-tested results. Everyone's going to love this. And like you launch and you know, you had maybe a dozen funds that were very, again, data forward and like willing to look at you. But like, for the most part, people are like, 
you know, we can't trust this. Like, this is like, you know, like this, this, who, who are these this, guys? Yeah, exactly. Well, one, who is this firm? And then also like, what is this technology and what is machine learning? And, um, you know, like it, this is probably to come back, this is a black box and, you know, you can't trust that. Um, you know, and now fast forward, you know, when you look at BERT-based models or deep learning models, you don't know what's happening, um, but you have faith because, you know, the market's matured enough to, um, you don't have full transparency, right? But you have faith because you know, people are realizing that these things can help solve problems. So, um, you know, the the funny thing was, I think when we first launched those first dozen firms, we got um, quickly, right? That was the thing. But then the next dozen firms took quite a while right like that was when i think in the startup world right they call it like the trial of sorrow it's like yeah you get this initial growth and then it's just like flat and you're like um wow it's getting really really hard to get new users and you know that trial of sorrow did take two three years um but you just keep fighting, right? You're like, at the end of the day, we're like, we have a valuable service. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why are we getting this much pushback? Um, this this is going to help investment managers uh, at the end of the day. And that belief, re- I think, was really what carried us through. Um, and then in 2015-ish, 2016-ish, you kind of started to get a, a bigger, that was kind of, I'd say, um, if you had like the very, very, very early adopters from like 2012 to 2014, 2015, um, then you started to get more of a kind of acceptance of machine learning from 2015 forward to now in the point where, you know, one, people recognize that machine learning is a valuable tool. They're willing to forego transparency, um, like by going the deep learning route, uh, because they see that, um, when you kind of train things in sample, right, and have uh, uh, your validation out of sample, they're they're working. So I guess I totally don't need to know everything behind a deep learning system. Like this is I'm talking about the end user, of course, right? Um, uh, but I do see that it's working, so I'm okay uh, 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 allowing this to continue. People probably felt the same about aeroplanes when they first appeared. <laughs> I don't understand how it works, so I'm not touching it. But, you know, we get used to it. And I still don't understand how an aeroplane works, but I'm happy to get on it. Type yeah, exactly. So, and now you have these, and now it's like, you know, it's perfect um, macroeconomics in the sense that, you know, the, there is demand for these services and you're seeing a bunch of people enter, right? And that's what you'd expect. And like, that's great from my standpoint, from the standpoint or our standpoint, from the Alexander standpoint, because, you know, that means that this market will likely grow um, quite significantly. Um, And, you know, we're a name in this market and we do, I think, very advanced things in this market and we'll continue to do so. Mm. And the market, the market will broadly so it has become so everyone's woken up do you feel like 2022 so it's essentially i mean you, you it sounds like you're saying the time is now are you thinking the time was covid you know is that has that kicked it off or or um uh you uh, is it just is it just the progress of time type thing i think a progress of time i mean if anything for i can say at least you know from alexandria there was kind of like a slight delay with covid Right. Um, and it was it was very small. Right. But I mean, at the time we had like a bunch of valuations going and COVID hit and people were like, well, we have to stop everything. Right. Like, hold on. And all it really did was kind of push um, users back like six months, maybe. 
so I, I, if I, you know, obviously we don't know what would happen, but my guess was like, if COVID didn't happen, we would just get those users six months earlier. Like we got them eventually, but it took six months later. So it, it's not a COVID thing, uh, in my opinion, anyway. I think it's more of a um, just adoption uh, and market maturation thing uh, overall. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I um, bumped into uh, Chris Cantos, who's just um, start, started up your London office, I think, um, yes. last end of last year. Is there, is that a kind of, um, is, I mean, is there a, a London feeling right now in terms of it, is, is the European market the, the kind of next, next uh, meadow for exploration? Is that, is there some kind of strategic viewpoint behind that? No. Um, well, so the, the short answer is like Europe has always been there, right? I mean, in some cases, Europe was ahead of NLP adoption uh, than the U.S., right? Uh, it just that you know so there were fewer there were fewer firms, I think, um, in Europe overall compared to you know the let's say hundreds of hedge funds in the U.S. But um, you know the the firms that were in Europe seem to be pretty well at the time anyway, and that's continued now. I, I mean, but you know, and I'm, I'm talking historically. Um, the uh, you know they were ahead uh, when it comes to adopting NLP or machine learning systems um, overall. So and you know and the funny thing too is like from the very beginning we had a global client base, which doesn't make life necessarily easy when it's only two or three people, right? Um, overall, like our third or fourth client was in Sydney, Australia. So um, you know, uh, and then we did have clients in London in the very early days, and so it's like we were a global company. Like, I think we, you know, for being a three or four person firm back in 2012, we we had more countries than employees um, that were subscribing to our service. So, uh, you know, there was always a vision of having... Were you taking shifts to sleep? <laughs> exactly. It's just like you're on call all the time, right? Like, there's just no... Yeah, there's no, there's no stopping it. So, uh, the, you know, hiring someone in London was always like a need, but it quite, we were managing fine from um, New York. So uh, the opportunity to bring on Chris and we know Chris cause he was a former, well, he was a client um, uh, and he's worked with our data and he's very good at quantitative research. So um, that was just a great opportunity and one, a great opportunity to hire a very good employee, but then two, um, to fill a need in the London area. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Dan, I think we've uh, I think we've we've done justice to Alexandria um, in our conversation. So um, I think uh, I think really interesting. I loved I love love talking to people who were there kind of in the early days and hearing about the kind of, you know, the the beginning of the gold rush. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so really interesting. Thanks so much for joining today and, um, and, and best of luck in the future. Yeah, I very much appreciate it, Mark.